Great to be joining you again for LifeWords Q&A with David Ray and myself, Andrew Morris. Uh, if this is the first time you've joined us, thank you and welcome. Uh, this is a weekly discussion about life and faith and the intersection of that. Uh, last week, we, we spoke about questions about like the unforgivable sin and praying for the sick. Uh, previously, uh, you, you can download all our previous discussions through the iTunes store. Just search for Hope Media and you'll find LifeWords Q&A there. Also, you can hop on to Hope1032 au to get our download as well. Well, it's time to welcome David. David, thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Andrew. Couldn't do the show without you. No, <laughs> nor could I do it without you. Okay, so our first question, David, is I have a friend who became a Christian and now says she isn't one. Well, I guess the question, is that possible, David? Well, let me, let me say that there are three possible answers to that question, Andrew. One is that the person who said she was a Christian never actually was one. See, after all, it's easy to kid ourselves and others. We say and do the right things, but there's no deep core of belief and trust and commitment. So her status hasn't really changed. She says, uh, this person, the questioner is saying, she once was a Christian, but now says she isn't one. Well, maybe she wasn't a Christian in the first place, so her status hasn't really changed. She's just more aware of the truth of who she is. After all, I think we all know, if we've been hanging around Christian churches long enough to know that there are people who are very involved in the Christian church once, maybe as youth and youth leaders and so on, and who are nowhere near Christian things now. And it's possible that these people were just playing out a role, were just socialised within the Christian church, but never really had a deep Christian commitment. So that's one one possibility, uh, that, that the friend who became a Christian... Uh, um, didn't actually become a Christian. Now, there's another possibility. The second possibility is that the person was a Christian and still is. But she may be going through a prodigal phase or a rethinking of the sort of Christianity she's embracing. There's still a relationship with God through Jesus, but it might be differently expressed or it might be under threat at the time. So this questioner might be saying, oh, she this, this friend of hers is saying she isn't a Christian anymore. Well, uh, well, maybe not. Maybe she still is a Christian, but is wrestling with Christianity, is having difficulties with Christianity, and has embraced a Christianity perhaps from a different tradition or with different emphases and so on. And then there's a third possibility. And the third possibility is that she's actually telling the literal truth. This person once was a sincere Christian and has decided to reject the faith. Now, some would argue from the Bible that this is impossible, and so would revert to one of the other possibilities I've mentioned. But others believe the Bible allows for this falling away. It's, it's, it's a difficult issue. So the friend uh, might never have been a Christian. The friend might still be a Christian. Or the friend might be, as the questioner says, became a Christian and now isn't one. Difficult one to decide. I guess Judas is a, a good example of someone, was he a Christian? Well, uh, and there would be debates about that. Was was he uh, uh, a true follower of Jesus who was grievously um, misled and misguided, or was he just a pretend follower of Jesus? The, the, the point is, in any of these cases, and what I'd say to this questioner most directly is, um, leaving aside the debates about whether it's possible, is that ultimately we can't reach final conclusions because even if a person has drifted away, uh, I'd say no one's beyond the reach of God. Um, and and, and I don't, honestly, Andrew, I've got to the point now in my life of, of, of really being very careful about even determining just who is a Christian and who is not. Because um, Jesus himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And on, on, on the other hand, the, the Bible is saying uh, that you must confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord uh, and so on. So it, it is hard to know uh, from, from just casual acquaintance with people whether they are Christians or not. They might be role-playing. Then again, there's people who I might look askance at and think, oh, they're not very acceptable people. And yet they might deep down have a relationship with God through Jesus that I know nothing about. There may be some of us that sometimes doubt our faith and our commitment. That, like, I know in my in my period of, uh, I guess, over twenty years of being a Christian, I think, am I really a Christian? Am I going to be going to heaven? I guess. I mean, I've asked that question. That oh, yeah. as as have I. Even when I was studying at theological college, I asked that question. I think rather this sounds facetious, but it was quite serious at the time. I said, Lord, please, you know, I'm not going to go to sleep at night and rest until you've assured me that I'm a Christian. Well, I went to sleep and had a good night's sleep. So ever since that, <laughs> I figured that maybe I am. Yeah. Uh, but but I think we yes, we we've been through these. I think we all go through these phases. And and even I at my my, my sort of advanced age now I, I i still am looking at my faith and saying now now what does constitute my faith what does it really mean to be a christian i think we go on asking these questions rather than assuming i was brought up in a christian home uh or or, or i'm a christian minister uh or i know my bible well or i say my prayers or i go to church or i mix with christians um none of that makes you a christian the only thing that makes you a christian is a deep personal relationship with god through jesus now now we who observe people should be able to observe some evidence of that Christianity. Jesus says we're, we're, we're to be able to observe that. But at the same time, I can't assume just because someone is struggling in life and not living a very ethical life that they're not a Christian, nor can I assume that just because someone is living an ethical life, they are a Christian. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray and Andrew Morris. You can send us your questions, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. If you've got a question, David would love to uh, tackle it in one of our episodes uh, and feedback as well. LifeWords at hopemedia.com.au. David, our second question today is, what happens when we die as Christians? Do we go straight to heaven or do we wait around till Jesus returns? Well, the Bible seems to say two things about this that might appear contradictory. One is that we go straight to be with Jesus when we die. He promised the thief on the cross that today you'll be with me in paradise. And yet, just to make it a bit difficult, some scholars argue that paradise is not the same as heaven, but it's rather a place for the departed. And there's also other parts of the Bible suggesting that we don't get our new bodies till Jesus returns and heaven is not inaugurated till then. So it could be that Christians who die go to a blessed place called paradise and await the resurrection body. Now, now, and you might think, oh, dear me, that, that, that's not such a great um, thing to look forward to. But let, let, me, let me put it to you another way in practice. Think about going to sleep. I go to sleep at 10 p.m. at night and I wake up at 6 a.m. Now, eight hours have passed, but I'm not conscious of it. One moment, I'm awake. The next moment... I'm, a, I'm, I'm awake again. However, an observer watching me will experience the elapse of eight hours. So let's say in the case of the Apostle Paul, it may be from our timescale viewpoint 
that he is still awaiting his resurrection body because Jesus obviously hasn't returned. But from his own personal experience, he's enjoying the benefits of heaven right now because, as it were, when you die, you, as it were, slip out of our present earthly time frame. So I, I would never say to people, look, um, when you die, uh, you're just going to be wafting around for a while, um, for quite a while, centuries and centuries and centuries until Jesus returns, and then one day everything will be just fine. Uh, I don't argue that they're going to some limbo land. Um I'd rather argue, as I said, said said just then, that it's it's to do with a bit like going to sleep. You 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 you, Martin Luther, John Calvin, the Apostle Paul, all the great ones who've died in Christ. Um, you may argue, yes, from our point of view. Uh, haven't got their resurrection body yet, but as far as their personal conscious experience, no, um, they're not conscious of that great time lapse. David, uh, this is inter- this actually poses some inter- interesting questions because a lot of storybooks and and illustrated books would show uh, at Jesus's return the bodies coming out of the grave mm. and floating up in the air and all that kind of stuff. And that proposes, should I be cremated or buried and that kind of stuff? But more seriously, organ transplantation and stuff. Um, and I, get, I believe a number of uh, different faiths would say, well, you know, I need, we, we need to keep organs in our bodies and stuff. And maybe one reason for, not the, for low donor rates and stuff, our new bodies when we come back, we're not beginning to be raised in our body. Our body will have turned to dust. There won't be much of the original body left. So I think organ transplants and stuff, those kind of things, that shouldn't be a, 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 in the equation, really. No, they're, they're, they're not an issue. Look, look, cremation and organ donors, I think if we're worried about them, I, I, I've got to say quite bluntly, that betrays a very, very sad misunderstanding of the resurrection. Um, we are going to have new bodies and uh, to say I'm going to miss my left kidney or my right eye or something, that, that's just absurd. Um, just in passing, I think Christians should, should be organ donors. I think it's a marvellous gesture of love. Uh, and the resurrection body is going to be new enough to cover all that sort of thing. Uh, so I don't think we need to be worried about that. And all those images of the dead being raised from the graves, that's just a pictorial way of describing the resurrection. As I say, I think when you are either cremated or buried, uh, I believe if if you've uh, died in Christ, I think your next experience will be of having your new body in the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, rather than, as I say, being uh, disembodied or, or in some sort of strange um, limbo waiting room. Uh, so I don't think that we need worry too much about that uh, from, a, from a resurrection body point of view. We are going to get new bodies, which have got some continuity with our own, um, but some discontinuity. And the example of that, of course, is Jesus' resurrection body. Uh, Jesus was able to eat fish and pass through walls. Now, that's something to look forward to, David. Yes, eating fish and walking through walls. It sounds, sounds wonderful, actually. Yeah. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, and uh, you can send us your questions, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. This is a weekly podcast available through the iTunes store and from hope1032.com.au. David, our last question for today is what does it mean to honour our mother and father? And do we have to obey them all through our lives? Well, um, I think we certainly have to honour our parents as long as they live. And, and, and even after they've uh, died, uh, to, to still honour them, on, on, honour their memory. Uh, I don't think we can confuse honour and obey. Um, the shape and expression of honour will vary. The honour is constant. 
the shape and expression of it will vary. Now, very young children, dependent on their parents and still learning about boundaries in life and so on, they need to obey. And I think the Bible's pretty clear on that. Children obey your parents and so on. Uh, a child who is disobedient and a parent who doesn't expect some sort of obedience, um, I think we're, we're, we're creating problems there. Although we note the mutual, so-called mutual ethic in the Bible, the Bible was revolutionary. It didn't only just say children obey your parents, which is an accepted thing, but parents don't exasperate your children. And that was mm. very revolutionary. So parents have a role here as well. But, but as children grow... They need to make their own way in life, and therefore how they honour their parents will will change. Now, but there's no there's no magical age when this happens. We can't say right when you're 13 you obey your parents, or oh, but when you're 14 you don't. Uh, you don't. I think it's a gradual thing, and that's part of the difficult task of parenting to somehow or other know uh, when to, as it were, loose the control and when to tighten the control. When the children are very little, you quite rightly are tightening the control. You don't want them to be running here and there and everywhere. You don't want them to be in danger. But gradually you let go. But And so that's from the parent's point of view. From the child's point of view, the child, very young, is utterly dependent on parent, and a parent needs to make a lot of decisions for them. But as they grow up, the relationship changes. So the honouring will also change. So from a practical point of view, David, I want to honour my parents in a decision they might not necessarily agree with. Uh, you're making the decision? I'm going to make the decision. Mm. Now, they're not going to... They, they, they wish... They, they don't agree with it, but I still want to honour them. I'm assuming that that is an issue of... Uh, I, I'm confusing obedience with honour, but... Um, yes, you, 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 you are quite free to make your own decisions. Now, uh, thinking about this, it would be dishonouring your parents to make that decision, and you know that they're going to disagree with it, to make that decision and not advise them or not out of courtesy share with them the reasons for making that decision, to not listen to their uh, disagreement, uh, to simply say to 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 uh, simply say to people, well, blow you, I'm just going to make this decision anyway. Uh, who cares what you think? That's dishonouring. Um, but... You are perfectly entitled to say to parents, look, I'm making this decision. Um, yes, I, I've heard what you say in disagreement with it. I know you do strongly disagree, and I know this may cause problems between us. I'm so sorry about that, but I still believe this is the best decision to make. I think that's perfectly honouring, because honouring parents, again, doesn't mean going along with all their wishes. It doesn't mean obedience at every stage in life. And honouring is not always comfortable. It doesn't always lead to pleasant outcomes. I think it's very much to do with um, respect, um, uh, with, 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 with keeping in touch with them, with listening to them, um, giving them something of our time. Um, anyone visiting aged care places, as I sometimes do, finds that many of the elderly people there are neglected by their children. The children simply don't come around, don't ring them up, don't talk to them, don't spend any time with them. I think that's dishonouring. I think honouring there involves, well, let's, let's not just simply make sure you're in a comfortable aged care place, but let's give you something of what is valuable, such as our time and um, our respect to listen to you. Uh, so, so, and also, of course, as, as our parents get older, um, honouring may take the form of looking after them in times of need, just as um, 
just as they looked after us when we were young. So honouring will take different forms, but I like to think of it in terms of respect, sensitivity, care and concern, and that never stops. And even after they've died, it never stops. But certainly it's not consistent or it's not the same as having a subservient so-called obedient attitude to them. And I think a parent who insists on controlling their grown-up children, particularly their grown-up married children, is, I think, uh, uh, disobeying another biblical uh, principle, which is uh, that a man will leave his um, mother and father and cleave to his wife and so on. So uh, when, for example, you're married, a new family is created, as it were, and then the parents don't, hopefully they're not sidelined or dismissed, but they take a very different role and have a very different status. Help me with that one, Dave, from a practical point of view. I'm your son. I am now married. How, in my relationship with my wife and my kids, do I honour you when possibly you're asking uh, uh, questions or things of me that maybe I can't necessarily give you? Well, I think there the the parent is acting, as a parent would be acting very unwisely there. I'm still trying to act in a way that's inappropriate, uh, sorry, that was appropriate when you were growing up, very appropriate. Uh, I was having a lot of input into your life then. But once you marry, as it were, or grow up, not get married necessarily, but once you've grown up to attain a certain degree of um, uh, independence and uh, maturity and so on, I think that's when you, you the, the parent has to, as it were, step back and, and uh, as it were, bite their tongue, as it were, uh, and and believe that, uh, yes, be able to say to a child or a grown-up child, grown-up adult child, look, I, I don't agree with that decision, but to, as it were, leave it that. Remember I said before, the, the, the parent's role there is to say, I don't agree with that decision. Uh, it's the grown-up child's role to say well 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 thank you can you please explain that that's that's very honoring but yeah. in the end the parent does not dictate because that particular person if they're single i think is still as it were um as it were um left the nest and they've got to create their own life and if they're married the Bible itself says there is a new relationship priority there and it can be very, very dangerous and, 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 and unfortunate if a, if a parent starts intruding into a married relationship because it's based on a wrong assumption that there's still the same relationship between the mother and father and the son or daughter and there's not. Marriage changes it. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. Hi, I'm Andrew Morris. And uh, that was our final question for day, uh, today, looking at the issue of what does it mean to honour our mother and father? Thanks for being part of it. Hope you've enjoyed it and found it very stimulating and of help to you in your Christian walk. Uh, you can download previous episodes from our iTunes uh, store. Just search for Hope Media and the LifeWords Q&A uh, podcast. David Ray, thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you next time. Thanks, Andrew.